I know, I'm sad when the music ends too. So uh, completely get that. I always like to begin with a personal story as a way of tying in uh, the message for the end of this year. About eight years ago, at this time of the year, I was thinking my work at St. James was done. I was finished. I had already said in passing to uh, my district superintendent, much to his heart attack kind of experience, after you've been in the same place for 20 years, I walked in and sat in his office. Uh, back in those days, it was right next door. We were in the old building, uh, which is now where St. James Plaza is. And uh, I had walked next door, sat down in his office and said to him, he said to me, I'm sure I know exactly what you're going to want. You're going to just come back for another year. And I said, no, I think I've done everything I could possibly do. And his face had the look of fear. Not fear, maybe surprise, overwhelmment, uncertainty, whatever it was. So then he walks back behind his desk, fumbles for a pad, and then he sits down and he says, so what are your gifts? And thus began an intriguing journey over the next, uh, I had talked to my wife, I had prayed heavily, but I hadn't broken it until January to my uh, personnel committee that I had decided maybe it was about time for me to move on, that I had done all I thought I could do. Now, obviously, I'm still here eight years later. During that springtime, I reevaluated what ministry was and thought about it. And on the last possible day I could get a telephone call, I got two. I got one from my district superintendent at 8.30 in the morning as I was sitting in prayer. And he said, we couldn't find any place for you. You know, uh, that's pretty much what he said. Later in the morning at around 11 o'clock, the district superintendent from the adjacent district also the one who became our next bishop, called me on the phone and said, the cabinet, we have discerned you need to return to St. James, which is much better than we couldn't find any place that would take you. <laughs> you know, uh, it, felt, uh, it felt differently. Let me just say, it felt differently when you hear the two different stories. Uh, so I felt a little bit better at noon by that day than I did when nobody else in the entire, there are like, there's like 1,100 churches in the Virginia Annual Conference, and there's not one? Apparently not. So I guess you're stuck with me until I either die or retire, whichever happens first. Um, and uh, the, the long and short of that was, that be, when they told me that, I came back, and look at what happened in the intervening period of time. We sold a building, much to some people's chagrin, and in its place was built 92 affordable housing units. And we met in temporary space for two years, thinking we were going to a whole nother part of the city of Alexandria. That's what they targeted us. That's what the district superintendent told us. And then our good friends at All Nations Church of God put this church up for sale with the mission house next door. And I happened to pass by it quite by accident one morning and saw that it was on the market. Four days after we on the market, I called our broker. Our broker called them. They already had three offers on the building. Uh, so I was like, you know, there's a lot of hoops in the United Methodist Church you have to jump through before you buy or sell a building, but let's see what I can do. So I called my district superintendent at the time. By that time, it was a whole other guy. 
call him on the phone and say, yeah, we maybe, I'm thinking it could, be, you know, and so he's like, okay, we can speed this up. You know, we checked a few boxes, we looked at it, we put a temporary bid on it. They accepted our bid because they were like, hey, we've done vacation Bible school, we believe in what you're doing at St. James, you're a known, we want you to have our building. We bought a building, we moved in here, we put this building here. I'm looking at faces who were not here, some of whom were not here in the old building, but in this new space, there are people who came in this new space. Just magically, out of, you know, it's not magically. You know, that's our story. That's part of our story that brought us to this place today, part of the story that we can recount. And now I want to share with you just a piece of Isaiah. I know, we've been in Isaiah the entire month of December. Well, I can't leave off without going back to, you know, Isaiah. Uh, Right near the very end, we're looking at chapter 63 of Isaiah, verses 7 through 9. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely... They are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. All the days of old. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord. You know, as I thought about a story that we share, that brought us to this place, it seemed appropriate to talk about eight years ago, my thinking, I was done. There was nothing left for me to do here. There must be somewhere else for me. And that we sold a building. And we thought we were leaving the West End. And then serendipitously, this building became open. Every single one of you could tell some story about how you found us. Whether it's a connection to me or to someone else here. Or just because you live nearby. Or because we stayed on the West End. Or because we did that weird wood thing on the front of our building that attracted your attention as you drove by. Or for whatever reason, you found us. You could tell a story and you could recount. If you see it as a good thing in your life, you could recount, could recount the good things that God has done in your life through the connections you've made here. Connection to God, the connection to one another, the connection to our West End community. Perhaps you've served in the West End food pantry and you have seen our neighbors who are hungry. Or perhaps you just brought food in one of these boxes. And I say just brought food, but you thought to yourself as you held that can and you put it in a box, someone else is going to hold this can. Someone else is going to hold this can. And this can isn't just a can, it's a story. It's a story of how someone who's hungry won't be. 
who knew Chef Boyardee, many ABCs and one, two, threes, would tell such a story? And yet here it is. This is the goodness of God. There is no place you can look in this world that you don't see it. Christ is in all things. Everywhere. It's a story we can tell. Now, it's one of the challenges I think we as the church get into is we start to think that our only stories are these. They're in this book. I'm here to tell you something I think is very important for you to know. Your God's story. Your God's ongoing story. If you're seated here, if you're online, or even if you have no idea that St. James exists on the west end of Alexandria, you are God's ongoing story in this world. You can make it come to life in the way you treat each other, in the way you love, in the way you think, in the way that you are. Or you can hide that story. You can hide that story. You know, in preparation for the Christmas season that we're in right now, we lighted four candles during the season of Advent, one for peace, one for hope, one for joy, one for trust, and then we lit the Christ candle, the love candle. And each one of those is a delightful candle. And we could extinguish them now and put them away, pull them out next year for Advent. Because these are no longer the candles that bear witness to the light coming in the world. These are the candles that bear likeness. They bear the light coming into the world. You bear the light coming into the world. You are these candles. You are the story of God. The reason we read this book, it's a, it's a delightful book. I love this book. Don't get me wrong. I had a little challenging hiccup this morning when I decided I had to borrow a hymn. I know, isn't that sad? Borrow a Bible. Because I have a version, I've been reading a version of Isaiah 63 all week long in the New Revised Standard Version. And then I always carry around in my backpack the Common English Bible, just another translation. And a whole nother interpretation of what Isaiah is saying. So my whole sermon, I was like looking at it before service today. I was like, I'm not preaching this. <laughs> you know, I'm not preaching this. And it's not that, you know, and then you're like, oh my gosh. What do you mean? Two different versions of the Bible or two different stories? They take a little different twist. If you read the Hebrew, and I'm sure all of you do in your spare time, sit at home, you pull out your Hebrew version of the Bible, you read from right to left. I'm sure you're doing it. I know it. But just imagine with me that you pull that out and you, you say, first of all, you know, there's no punctuation in Old Hebrew. There's no punctuation at all. So you can break the sentence where you ever think the, the sense makes. So you break it in weird pla different places and suddenly it changes what you think that text might be saying to you. I'm not saying what it's saying in one or the other is wrong. I'm simply saying, if you've been focusing on the New Revised Standard Version and you pick up the Common English Bible, suddenly the emphasis is in a different place. It's okay. It's perfectly okay. And maybe next year at this time, if I choose Isaiah again to talk about, and if I'm still here and all those kinds of things, I will read it from the Common English Bible and it will say something different to me. Because that's the power of God to speak in all things.
in a variety of ways. And we can hear that message as we need to hear it in that moment. What I heard is, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord. I'll tell the story. Only I won't tell the story as an outsider. If you memorize the Bible, that's a great thing. I'm sure all of you have memorized all 66 books, beginning to end, in whatever version you know, you could recite it for us. In the beginning was, you know, when God was creating the heavens and the earth. Probably could do it in two languages, maybe in Hebrew and in English. You could throw it around if you've memorized it. But the truth is, more important than memorizing the stories in this book is speaking from your own story through this book. To speak out from the stories here. They didn't save these stories so we'll imitate being exactly like these people, but instead we would see in them a glimpse of ourselves. Now, I'm not a king like David was, but I sure have feet of clay like David did. I stumble and fall. I make stupid mistakes. That's why they have that story in here. So I can see in it both the good and the challenge. That was a man after God's own heart. And yet he committed murder and adultery and some other kinds of things. He wasn't all that. And yet God used him. And he told his story. He lived his story. He lived God's story. Some of it was a little broken. But I see in these stories the power to claim my own story as one of God's children one of God's people in this world so that I can speak not only a memorized story like a proof text to prove to you that I know what the book says but I can speak this story was it an accident that we stayed on the west end of Alexandria was it an accident that I happened upon this building just in time for us to put a bid on it was it totally an accident, or was there some bigger picture in that? Was there some bigger hand in us staying here? Would we be any less the church if we were over in Cameron Station or some other place that they wanted us to be? I don't think we would be less the church, but we wouldn't be this church. We wouldn't have this story to tell. We'd have a different story. We found this warehouse, and we built it out, and some random thing. We wouldn't have the music program we did if... Out of the blue, I didn't hear from James. James and I have been friends for seven years before I even heard from him. He reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, I'm still in the area. Want to grab coffee sometime? We grabbed coffee. I found out he designs websites. I was like, dude, our website really is bad. <laughs> I know it's bad because I wrote the code behind it. I know who wrote the code. <laughs> Old HTML and PHP thrown together. Yes, it's bad. I need some new redesign. If you do that for us, you know, we talked about it. And then over time, he and I met. And I found out he was a musician. Not only was he technical, but he was musical. And we talked and we prayed and we wondered. And the next thing you know, it was like, maybe James would come work here for us. But I was afraid to bring it up. And James and Megan were talking about it, and maybe it would be a good fit. But I hadn't brought it up. I, in fact, I'd asked James, James, do you know any musicians <laughs> that might come and be on staff here at St. James to play music? And he said, well, I know some. Let me think about it. I'll pray about it. Next thing I know, 
We're sitting across the table, both of us, I'm afraid to, you know, put a strain, you know, strain on our relationship by saying, James, what would you think about, you know, being musical at St. James? And James, you know, Megan would ask James every time he came home from meeting with me the last two times. So did you bring it up? Did you talk to him about it? Nope. <laughs> nope. That's a piece of our story. Was it an accident that James sent me a, you know, a Facebook message when he did? I could tell stories about a lot of you in that kind of way that you happened upon us. Did you really happen upon us? Or did something call you to be here amongst us? Well, you've got to claim that for yourself. I can't put that on you. That's not my job. My job is for you to discover for yourself, to help you in the best ways I possibly can, how this story is your story. Because in the end, God wants you to tell God's story now. Not 2,000, 2,500, 3,000, 3,500 years ago. If you can do that, great. But it's your story now. It's your story. You make God's story come to life or die on the vine by the way you live and love and have your being. As you walk through this life, you can bring to light Christ everywhere. You can see Christ everywhere. You can claim and pull out the Christ in everyone you encounter. Even the curmudgeonly, bah humbug folks you encounter. Don't be one of them, by the way. That's not a good plan. That's not a good way to bring out the Christ story in the other. But you can bring out the... But guess what? This is the other side of it. I just have to tell you there's grace in it because some of you are going to be bah humbug sometimes. And by some of you, I mean me. I'm just going to be sometimes a little worn out. And I'm just not going to be my best James self. I know you can't imagine that would ever be true, that I'm always on my best behavior. You're a pastor, James. We pay you to be on your best behavior all the stinking time. What do you think, what do you think this is about? That paycheck comes in and you better just be living up to it, boy. <laughs> well, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> I am not living up to it all the time. There are some moments, humiliating moments. You know what one of the things I'm thankful for in my journal every morning, one of my daily practices is to write 10 things I'm thankful for. One of the things I was thankful for this morning, humiliation. Saying stupid things that you shouldn't have said, doing stupid things, because sometimes if you learn from them, they remind you what it is to be human. Everybody trips and falls. Everybody says things they probably ought not to say. Everybody expects things from other people that they probably ought not to expect. Every one of us have got feet of clay and trip and fall. Back to David. Back to James. I'm not telling you to go out there and sin boldly so that grace might abound. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we all make mistakes and there are opportunities to glow, grow and learn. To grow and learn. Because God wants you to be the story. You don't have to be the story from 2,000 years ago. You're not going to put on robes and walk down the street barefoot, you know, and call down fire from heaven or, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Heal people that you run into, run up and touch them in the head. Probably. Now, maybe some of you have got that gift. God wants you to be God's people now. Now. 
so that when you recount this story, this isn't a story that's Isaiah's story from, say, 2,500 years ago, which is probably when 3rd Isaiah was maybe being written. God wants the story to be yours. Can you recount? Could this be your words? Hear them in your own voice. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord. Can you recount a few? We came into this season, and I told you to expect more peace, more hope, more joy, more trust, and more love. When you came to expect those things, did you meet him in some strange places? If I asked you, could you tell me where you saw more peace in your season, or did you just miss it altogether? Some of the things I bring up are not because I'm beating you into seeing those things. It's like, oh, that's always nice. I like a good flashing blue light behind me. <laughs> Hopefully none of you are, uh, you know, susceptible to some form of, ooh, you know. Uh, but I do have training in first aid, so I know what not to do. Do not stick your finger in a person's mouth who's having a seizure. It's not a good plan. Can you make the story yours? Do you realize even, is this the first time you're hearing that the story is yours? Because if it is, I've really dropped the ball. It's your story. You are God's story to this universe. God's ever unfolding story of beauty and amazement, of creativity, of power, of love, of hope. You're the story. You're the story. God tells the story because God wants you to tell the story. And God tells the story through you. What does God's story look like in your life? Are you busy stomping your feet and getting your own way? Are you busy loving your neighbor? The neighbor that's disguised in sad and hurtful ways and hurting places? Are you entering to the place of pain and brokenness? Not just your own, but those of your neighbors? You see, in the coming year, now that you know your God's story, three days from now, it's a new year. It's really not. It's just a way we measure stuff. You know, it's all a construct. It's imagined. Who cares if it's 2020 or two? 250 billion, whatever it happens to be. No one cares, except for people who make calendars and want you to buy them and make money on them. You know, the truth is, who cares what year it is? But if it's a way for you to think you're new and you have a new story to tell, by all means, do it. Think, man, this is new. I'm new. This story is new. And why is it new? Because I'm telling it from my perspective. God's telling it through me. Don't tell someone else's story. Tell your story of God's 